You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. 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 To the Freedom Pact. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Aaron Alexander. Aaron is a world-leading manual therapist and movement coach, and is also the host of the top-rated show, The Aligned Podcast, which has featured legends like Wim Hof, friend of the show Stephen Kotler, and Mark Sisson. Aaron's mission is to inspire millions of driven individuals to confidently re-inhabit their bodies to be strong, flexible, and pain-free by moving functionally during every single task daily. We spoke to Aaron today about the content of his upcoming book, The Align Method which is how to align the body and the mind. So in this episode today, we look at not just how to have a healthy body, but we also look at how to also have a healthy mind. How does your body posture affect how happy you are? How does smiling affect your mood? So we look at it holistically today. It's a very functional episode. And without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with the brilliant Aaron Alexander. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Aaron, such a pleasure having you here. Let's talk about affluenza. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about affluenza. Um, so essentially, that is a, a term that I learned from my buddy called Chris Ryan, who he recently had a book come out. Uh, called Civilized to Death, that you guys might be familiar with. And uh, essentially, I don't think he came up with the term, to be honest, but that's who I heard it first from. And affluenza is a disease that manifests itself in modern culture as a product of outsourcing our uh, need to move and to essentially do things for ourselves um, because instead we've, we've permitted ourselves uh, the luxury of technology doing those things that actually end up healing our body. You know, so an example of that would be um, any type of like automated system. Say, for example, just as simple as like a garage door opener. You know, as opposed to actually having to like move manually, go through that extension of your shoulders and do a little deadlift and pick or chopping wood or any of those things. Those all naturally heal and tune the body. Furniture is a very obvious example. You know, or toilets, Lord Crapper. You know, it's like an indication of royalty that you sit at 90 degrees and you have your gold-studded toilet and, you know, you sit above people on these chairs as opposed to sitting on the ground with peasants. You know, and the peasants sitting in those ranges of motion uh, or going through those full ranges of motion with their hips and their ankles and their knees and circulating lymphatic fluid and, you know, all of those different, those different practices that are inherent in our human physiology and our history, uh, we've kind of started to leave those in the modern affluent world. And 
it seemed cool at first, but we didn't realize that uh, a lot of that stuff that seems kind of tedious or a pain in the ass is actually kind of like our it's what circulates our 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 bodies and keeps us healthy and well. And when we leave that, we start to kind of you know we go through we we become an American statistic essentially. And if you you look at American statistics, it's not it's not where you want to be at. For sure. And I remember reading uh, Dan Butner's Blue Zone studies. And I remember in uh, the book in which he talked about, you know, those blue zones of places, the people that live the longest, Sardinia, Italy, Okinawa, Japan, Ikaria in Greece. And one of the things in which they found was that the people that lived the longest, that they didn't necessarily have a specific exercise routine, but that their lifestyle enabled them to move without consciously thinking about it is that sort of similar to along these lines yeah man i mean that's what my whole book is about really is that you all of these innate healing practices are just a a part of what once was a natural environment for human beings and, and we still have access to all of those things you know but the healthiest cultures in the world aren't gym based cultures they're they're movement based cultures and they're community based and you know they're food based and they're celebration based and they're all these different things but um being in a gym i was thinking about this today yesterday of uh you know i, I think there's a natural inclination to want to exert ourselves and to want to build and you know the egyptians building pyramids and like we want to like rah like we want to exert and create and build these structures and and you know evolve and i feel like we've kind of mutated that innate urge to to move and to exert into now it just being a, a purely superficial uh action where it's like now instead of building a pyramid it's like i'm just building my abs or building my biceps or building my pecs and if you look at gym culture i mean it's like a huge waste of time in 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 a lot of ways uh like the actions that people are doing many times are things that they could you know they could be building a house or they could be out for a a walk with their kids or they could be climbing trees or playing or they could and there's so many different things that they could be doing with their time um, but we just exert so much energy in these little, you know, these air conditioned, artificially lit boxes. But I think that there's value to gyms as well. I think it just should be like bonus extra credit, not something that you're dependent on. The thing that you should be dependent on, ideally, the mainframe of everything is your lifestyle. And then if your lifestyle is so saturated with all these health inducing variables, uh, then the gym just becomes this extra meditative bonus thing that you enjoy but if your health is dependent on the gym uh then that's very problematic for the the human animal and there's all sorts of research and from various different places nasa included that's that gets into how that's a problem i just want to see how how deep this goes you gave the one example of technology of the the garage door Um, Mm -hmm. i just wanted to ask you what examples stick out in your mind as things that aren't just unnecessary but uh almost detrimental to us um as far as like the affluenza related things yeah um well just not going through a full rate not getting up and down off of the ground would be a really big one um you know so cultures that spend time on the ground 
with any degree of regularity have minimal to no incidence of osteoarthritis in the the hips. It's very low in the knees. Um, pelvic floor dysfunction is diminished. Fall risk is, is vastly diminished. It's almost like what fall risk? What do you mean? Um, because I fall and I can't get up. That's not something that just all of a sudden happens because you turn 70. Um, that's something that you've moved away from going through that full range of motion for long enough, uh, that, it's like each day that chasm becomes like a centimeter longer and a centimeter longer and a centimeter longer until eventually you can't make that jump and you have this this atrophied space between your hips going down like 90 degrees to sit on the toilet and the bed and the chair uh, to all the way down to the ground and then you're literally a risk to your tribe uh, and you lose your own physical autonomy which is a huge deal as far as like pride and just a sensation of you know feeling creative and confident and alive and sexy in your body uh, those are all important things. You know, humans are emotional creatures. And if you lose your capacity to feel autonomous in your structure and you feel like you're just a liability to your family, um, emotionally, that's, that's very draining. And then, you know, that sets off a whole nother sequel of issues. You know, so that would be a primary thing. It's just losing the need to go all the way up and down off of the ground with regularity. Everybody needs to be doing that every day. There's no way around it. I'm on my knees right now as I'm, as I'm doing this. Uh, so I'm going to go back and forth, like being on one knee and then being on another knee. Um, and so as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm like a, doing a toe sit kind of thing as well. So I can be opening up through my plantar fascia. Um, and this is, it's not weird. It's not wild. It's not revolutionary. It like literally just feels much better. Uh, being in a repetitive position is the worst position for the human body. doesn't matter what position you're in. There's nothing wrong with sitting in a chair like at all. Sitting in a chair, there's no problem with it at all. Um, it's just that we've been so inundated with that ever since you were placed into a stroller as a little person. You know, and then a child seat, and then you go into kindergarten, and then you get you know raised heel shoes, and then you know there's like the only problem with that position is this just the insane amount of repetition with it, uh, and now we have like a really serious problem, you know. But there's no one position that's actually problematic. It's just it's just too much, you know. The dose is in the what is that? The poison's in the dose. And going back to the. Um... <clears throat> The, the gym thing for a second. If, if I'm thinking as a listener of this podcast now, um, yeah. you know, pe people might be hearing this sort of information for the first time. They look you up on Google. They look at images. They think, you know, this guy's a, a well-built guy, looks fit. He's got good aesthetics. There's no way he's not dedicated to the gym. What would you say is your system for, for, for the way you look aesthetically, would you say then? I love the gym. I'm not, I, I, I poop in the gym because I'm not dependent on the gym if i don't go to the gym it's not a problem i go to the gym for more uh for almost like buddy kelly star he did the forward for the book he called he describes like gym time as being like classical ballet training uh and then your life could be like modern you know so i think it's valuable to go back and refine those classical movements and have some type of of uh not necessarily a program but have some space or, or time frame with regularity that you're going through and you're really looking at, okay, how's the range of motion in my my toes and my ankle and my knees and my hips and throughout my spine and my neck and shoulders and you know, all the major joints. Um, and just having that, that check-in with regularity I think is immensely valuable. Um, and then also the meditative aspect of being in a gym. When I go to the gym though, um, I work out outside because that's to me is a huge... Um, 
cost of being in a gym is being is missing opportunity to be in the sun you know so i go to a place where i can take my shirt off and you know you know wear a pair of shorts or hike my pants up or something like that so i'm getting as much sun on my body as possible um I'm not wearing sunglasses, you know, and I'm really like taking that sun variable as a, as a, a meaningful part of my fitness because it is. Um, also, temperature regulation, you know, so if you're in an air conditioned box or heated box or whatever it may be, uh, you're missing out on a huge opportunity for your cells to respond to your the, the, the temperature of their environment. So thermoregulation is a part of your fitness, um, you know, so. I like gyms in short. It's just if you're dependent on that and the rest of your day is void of what, you know, any of us would consider to be like well-rounded wellness or fitness um, or physical inhabitants, um, then you're totally missing it. Like you need to make make that be the iceberg, the part that's under the water, you know, that's really holding up the structure. And then the tip of the iceberg is the gym time. So an example of this would be, say, uh, a nine-to-five office worker, right, that throughout the day they may muster up a thousand steps and then seven o'clock comes and they kill her in the gym and then they go back to bed. Would that, mm-hmm. be, some, some, would that be a lifestyle dependent on the gym? Um, it might be, but within that you, you could change a lot of things. So if a person, they're, they're doing like a nine-to-five job and say it's like they have to be in a, you know, a cubicle environment or something like that, there's things that they could do to change it. Um, one would be putting their, if they're working on a computer, say, they're not necessarily, they absolutely would be, but a lot of people are, um, making sure that the computer is near a window so that you're able to take your eyes through a full range of, of motion with regularity. Think of almost like eye yoga. You know, so the same way that temperature regulation is a form of movement for your body, so is uh, visual regulation. Going through a full range of motion of opening and closing those ciliary muscles and you know all the muscles that control the lens of the eye. Um, you know, so that would be a big thing, and that's also directly tied into the state of your autonomic nervous system. So if you are chronically contracted staring into little screens, like right now, again, I'm, as we're doing this, I'm doing this out on my porch so I can look up at clouds. I'm around trees, so I'm breathing in the various different chemicals that the trees produce, which is helpful with boosting the immune system and uh, generally just making you feel happier. Um being around plants, this is still in relation to the same same response to that question. Being around plants, uh, patients that are in hospitals that have uh, exposure, like even an open window or have plants and things like that to be able to look at, they end up having less necessity for pain meds and they also get rele- released much earlier. Uh, people that also have control of the usage of their pain meds oftentimes end up using less. So just that sensation of having control, um, being in nature, I think gives you a certain sensation of like freedom and control in and of itself. Again, we're emotional animals. Um, things are bigger than just like pull-ups and bicep curls and all that stuff. Like getting into the, the emotional component of being human. That's when I think the, the, the conversation of fitness gets much more interesting. Um, you could be taking walks with regularity as you are, uh, in your office so you could do like a pomodoro type technique and do 25 minute concentrated working and then have a five minute break where you go take a walk ideally outside get around trees take your shoes off if you want to get extra wild Uh, expose as much of your skin to the sun as possible Um, you know take your shirt off man like if you're going to be inside a room all day long and you have a brief little sliver of time that you can get outside when you get outside take your fucking clothes off 
like expo- like you, your body is a big solar panel. You know, so when you have that opportunity to soak up some sun, you want to get it as, as you know, any way that you can, essentially. Um, when you're in your office, I'll wrap this up really quick. Uh, when you're in your office, ideally, if you could open up the window so you can get that full spectrum of light coming through because windows will block out uh, a certain percentage of the spectrum of light. I think it's usually the, the UVB will be blocked out by it. Uh, you know, so you're getting essentially like a supplement form of sunlight when you are looking at the light through a window. So just because you're getting sun, you see light on your skin, doesn't mean you're actually getting the full whole food version of that sun. Um, and there's lots of other things. You know, as you're, as you're working, ideally, maybe you could, this gets a little wild. I know this won't work for everybody, but um, get like a floor cushion or something like that. Maybe you could put your computer on a couch or on a chair or something like that. And so you could actually be working from a 90-90 position or a straddle position or a, you know, a crisscross applesauce position. You could be in a squat for a little bit. Uh, you could go up into a standing desk position after that. Then you sit on a chair and it's no big deal. The only issue with the chair sitting is that it's we do it so freaking much. Wow. So, so interesting to think about. So that would be one for, say, the employee. But now I've got a two-part question for you, right? The yep. first part is, as an entrepreneur... No, no doubt that they would obviously have more autonomy to to do this type of stuff. They'd have much more of a flexible lifestyle. A lot of people, which we know, either work from home or maybe work abroad in some sort of flexible capacity. Um, but obviously, the downside I would say of that entrepreneur life is that it can be inherently stressful, right? I mean, you would know this yourself. You know, you're an author. But what fascinates me about you, Aaron, is I look at you, a man, if someone was, if I was to put money on it, I, I would, I would be on the bet that, that Aaron Alexander, if, if, you know, if we just met, I, you know, you seem completely stress-free. <laughs> Obviously, I, I, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, with everything you've got going on, I'm sure that, that isn't true. Uh, but so the two parts would be, how do you personally manage stress? And also for the entrepreneur listening, how could they also manage stress? Yeah, I mean, I'm not stress free by any means. I, I, um, I think you know your perception is everything. It's like Viktor Frankl, man's search for meaning stuff. You know, you uh, at any moment, everything could be much worse. And me being like a overprivileged, middle aged, whatever I don't know what middle aged means exactly, but white dude living in one of the most affluent places on earth, um, you know for me to be down on myself about, Oh my God, I have too much on my plate or this and that. Um, one, I think it's completely okay to accept your humanity and be like, yeah, you know what? Like I don't need to be put myself into a double bind of being guilty about my guilt. Um, you know, so first of all, taking it easy on myself and saying, you know what, it's okay to be stressed right now. Um, and then also having the other lens check of like, you know, at any moment I could lose something that would, I would do absolutely anything to get it back. Um, and I haven't lost that thing, you know, and there's just an infinite list of things that you could lose at any time that like all of a sudden your whole life would be like, I would just give anything for that back. You know, it's like, well, guess what? You have all of those things right now, you know? So if you can reposition your perspective to like, man, all the shit that I have, this is just crazy. Like it's unbelievable. Um, you know, so working with perspective is a big thing. And then the other thing is just maintaining joy in your day, every day. If you're not actively 
engaging in joy each day, you're totally missing it. Like you're completely missing the mark. You know, and then, I mean, I think maybe that's that could perhaps bend for somebody if they're like saving the world or something like that. But I think in large part what the world needs is people that are celebrating their life. You know, and so I think that, that that's a really big thing is maintain like each day at least for an hour, man. Like what do you do that lights you up? You know, do you have spaciousness in your life for the things that actually really get you going? Um, and most of us, maybe not most of us, many people, um, I think we like, we keep on having these false summits after false summits of like eventually we'll start enjoying our life when. And, uh, you know, the sooner that you can get over that whole lie and just start enjoying your life today, uh, the sooner you start to discharge stress with regularity. Just going back to what Joe said about the, you know the nine to five work as someone who is sitting down a lot and and like you said it, it's it's fine to sit down but it's you know the the frequent amounts and and the time that's spent sitting down which leads to the quote you know uh, sitting is the new smoking and on that I was thinking you know obviously sitting down it, we know it does things you know to the the thoracic vertebrae or you know it leads to your shoulders rolled and you're, you're hunched over your chest becomes tight. Other than other than those things that, that we all know about, what is so bad about you know about sitting and why why is why have you come to say that it is the new smoking? I don't think it is the new smoking. I, I I say again, I I go exactly against that. James Levine's guy said I have a lot of respect for James. I, I cite him in the book a lot, um, but it's not a complete statement. You know, so sitting is a completely natural, beautiful, healthy, nutritious range of motion for the human body. Uh, you just have to define sitting. So if sitting is that same repetitive motion um, that we were referring to before and you do that for thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of your life, um, yeah, then it's, it is new smoking. But you could just say um, sedentary, repetitious movement is the new smoking would be a, a more um, well-defined statement. You know, so sitting could be a malasana squat you know, while you're smoking a cigarette in Thailand waiting for a bus. Like that's you're sitting. You know, that's great, you know, and you're down regulating with the cigarette. You're having your little ceremony of chilling out and you're, you know, you're maybe looking out into the distance as you puff on the cigarette. I'm, I'm intentionally using the cigarette like to get at it because I'd, I'd rather take that person that does that than the healthy person in quotations that's stuck in that sedentary locked in their office staring into their cell phone position person that grabs a cigarette. I'm not saying that people should smoke cigarettes. I don't think they're, you know, it's a good idea, but nonetheless, I would on my kickball team, I would take the person that goes out, takes a break, has a discharge and a down regulation moment, looks out into the distance, goes into a deep squat, maybe sits in some grass, maybe takes her shoes off, hangs out in some trees, you know, and just puffs down a cigarette, maybe even two. I'd rather have that person on my kickball team than the super healthy person that's up in their penthouse suite that's locked into their cell phone while they're sitting in a chair. You know, there's so many health-inducing variables in that process of just popping a squat. You know, and, and the cigarette stuff I'm just kind of being cute with. I, I don't think people need to smoke. Um, you know, so, and then within that, it would be, like I mentioned before, the whole, you know, hashtag floor culture thing. Um, you just working on your computer or whatever while you're in some of those seated positions I mentioned before, that's yoga. You know, crisscross applesauce, a fancier 
word for that would be called sukhasana, you know, or a lotus position is something that very few people can do. But nonetheless, like, you know, that's like sukhasana is, a, is an easy position that that's that's yoga, you know. And so you can start to integrate those same basic principles and concepts of yogic asana into your daily life um, instead of uh, needing to pay a yoga practitioner and driving 25 minutes and you know sitting in that hunched over position and then you know going through the class and then going back into your car and sitting in that same position it's like dude your time in your car was the length of a whole freaking yoga class you know and then you use the yoga class to unwind that experience like what if you just made that be more about more like your life and then the time in your car is no big deal because you have such a rich buffer of health throughout the rest of your day you know, but there's like a Joe Campbell quote that I start the book with is like, is we're, we're, we're standing on top of a whale while we're fishing for minnows, you know, and the, and the, the minnows that we're fishing for is all the exercise equipment and the supplements and, you know, all the stuff. And it's like the whale that I don't think enough people see. Um, and I think people are starting to see it more, um, is the way that you inhabit yourself. Like, how do you exist in your body? You know, instead of just waiting to reach out for something to heal me, like what if I go in and start paying the freak attention to like how I inhabit this this physical structure? It's a really big deal. It's kind of like the people that drive to the gym to walk on the treadmill, right? <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's like literally, it's literally unbelievable. And that's what I was, that's what I'm saying with you know when you think of all of that wasted energy, mm. you know all of the fuel that it took to not just the the cost of the fuel itself. That fuel had to travel from Alaska or Iraq or whatever across the world to bring your fat ass to the <laughs> treadmill. You know, like what are you fucking talking about? Like like like. Just take a walk, you know, and, and when you're doing that, you get to exercise the rest of your physiology. You know, we're missing out on that. We're doing a supplement form of fitness the same way we do a supplement form of sun. And then we wonder, you know, why these statistics are the way that they are. And statistics can be bullshit too. You know, there's like the Mark Twain, you know, there's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics. So I think statistics can oftentimes kind of fit whatever your thesis is, which in my case, it would be like Western culture is hurting us. Um, Yes, I acknowledge that as well, and I can also become overly biased and dogmatic towards the whole affluenza thing. Um, you know, but yeah, that's that's all I have to say about that. Yes, so so interesting. You know, it's like um, one of the main things I suppose which you were, you know, or which you did convey in your book is a sense that I suppose whatever we are doing essentially is a chance to do that yoga thing, right? It's like, that's correct. Yeah, like that, that. That is one of the main things which you were trying to convey, wasn't it? And that's the meaning of yoga. Yoga has so little to do with asana. You know, like asana is is a very small fraction. It's an eighth. You know, of the eight limbs of yoga. And the intention of so asana just means like doing the stretchy, exercisey bits of of yoga, going to a yoga class, and you know that those movements are to prepare a person to be able to sit in contemplative meditation, uh, but the yoga, the word itself, is a Sanskrit word for, or it, it was, comes from from yuj, meaning yoke or union or connection or integration or you know any of those words, and so you can create yoga in your relationships. You know, you can create yoga in your business. You can create yoga in your relationship to the planet, the environment, your community, yourself. Uh, you know, that it's a, a the the actual 
down dog and you know all those movements is actually a very small percentage of yoga and if you could start to instill some of those broader principles of yoga into your daily life um, that truly is a foundation of fitness because back to the emotional element of the human animal if you're emotionally sick you're physically sick if you're physically sick you're emotionally sick it's one and the same thing so the way that you live your life directly ties back into your own physical fitness you know, fitness just means to be prepared, you know, for whatever, whatever the, whatever the, the feat is that you're, you're participating in. You know, are you fit for that thing? Uh, you know, and so if you can go through each day in service of others, which is a major part of yoga, uh, you'll be fit to exist well in a tribe, you know, and people will appreciate you, which then will send a feedback to yourself that, you know, you're appreciated and you appreciate yourself and you're a worthy being to be a part of the tribe. But if you're just like a selfish cunt and you're just gathering, 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 hoarding, 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 you subconsciously realize that people are either posing as your friend because they actually secretly parasitically want your stuff, um, you know, or people just generally don't like me. You know, if you can turn that around and make your life be more about like, how do I support you? How do I make your life better? How do we grow together? Like that's a big part of yoga. And then that's if that's the type of paradigm that you live in, then you're going to feel less inflamed. You're going to feel less anxious. You're going to feel less stress. You're going to sleep better at night. All this, all these fitness metrics start to pour in. You know, so it's all tied together. Yeah. And I've heard you say before that, that stress is really at the core of pretty much most diseases. If you track back through the diseases you will find stress. So if yep. I was to look at the other way of this, I was watching, you know, listening to your your interviews, I was watching a lot of them. And the one thing which really stood out to me is just how happy or joyous, which you seem, in, which you appear, you know, you seem, I, I listen to you, you're always laughing, you're always joking, you're, you're, you, you know, your body language and everything, it really does exude happiness. So mm. one thing I'd love to know is, at this stage of your life, what are the things which bring you the most joy? Just going back to what you talked about earlier. I think I'm starting to get the most joy from raising other people up and bringing people together and seeing um, people, sounds cheesy, but like having moments of transformation. Uh, those are the moments to me that are the most joyous. You know, so it's like transforming my present-ish and previous perspectives of kind of like me, 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 you know, self-indulgent, just selfish. Like how do I build up this brand and this book and this podcast and my own health and my own, you know, just go to school for this and go to school for that and travel here and like build up my story. It's been most of my life has been very me, me centric, um, which I think is completely okay you know, to, to do that through your, you know, your twenties and early thirties and whatnot and kind of like establish like, like who the heck am I, you know, figure that out. Um, I'm presently in a transition of really enjoying shining the light off of myself and on, on to other people. Uh, you know, and so that's what I enjoy. That's what brings me probably the most joy right now. You know, I really enjoy teaching workshops and seminars and seeing people's perspectives shift uh in an instant through just a couple words or a couple actions or uh that to me is like a very rewarding moment 
before we carry on with with you know these this body language and the effect on the brain is i just wanted to throw it back for a second because i'm fascinated with this idea of of the body and the movement and um you know having worked in uh the fitness industry and, and one of the main questions people always ask is you know how do you do the perfect squat um and one of the things i was told was and the best example of a perfect squat is a toddler you know, you look at any baby or toddler, they know how to squat perfectly. If they pick something up off the floor, they don't arch their back. They squat down perfectly to pick it up and they come back up. Yeah. And yeah. it's just a case of, you know, you, you sort of unteach yourself that. And it's, I, I just wonder, is the would you say that the body already has its capabilities and the knowledge to for this sort of range of movement? It knows what it's doing. It's just a case of us unlearning that. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's an Albert... Toffler quote that I have in the book. This is the the how's it go? I miss say it sometimes. Um, this goes the the successful people of the 21st century will be the ones who can learn, unlearn, and, and relearn. You know, so we've have we've learned kind of misinformation. I would say that goes you know beyond just squatting. There's a lot of misinformation that we learned growing up, uh, but structurally, mechanically, we, we mislearn a lot of different things from watching our parents and watching our teachers and watching the mold that we all inhabit ourselves in. Um, you know, but a child, yeah, they squat pretty darn good. And they have even like a fetus has facets in around their, their tibia on the ankle joints that they actually, it's like almost like a sliding surface or sliding plate for that ankle joint to go into a deep called dorsiflexion. Um, like a, to go into a deep squat position, like a third world squat or like a toddler squat. Uh, you know, so that position is innate to your human physiology, like from, you know, that's a, a stock part on every body. Um, and then we get away from it for long enough that it, we essentially almost start to like calcify around those ranges of motions and then having to relearn, you know, or unlearn the the structures and then relearn anew to get ourselves back to that we can get ourselves back to that but it just takes uh consistency and it takes time and it takes patience uh you know and so that's why my whole book the align method is all about that it's it's how can we instill really subtle principle based tactics into your daily life that are like so simple it's almost like like they only just make you feel better um, you know, and they're, they're free to, to immensely cheap. Uh, and with time, those aggregate and you have serious progress as opposed to it being some like blowout Tybo P90X something like that type fitness program. It's not that in the slightest bit. It's, there's enough. It took you 30 years to be stiff and feeling kind of like shit in your body, you know? So it's like, okay, it let's like, let's give it a year you know, of intentionality of just starting to integrate some really, really basic fundamental principles. Um, and let's see where we're at, you know, but I guarantee if you'd even start to integrate any of these principles into your life for three days, you're going to notice huge, huge change and it'll become quite addictive because we're, we're addicted to progress for good reason. Um, but the real shift that you're going to see, and oftentimes it ends up being almost like these like overnight quantum leaps where you couldn't do something for 20 years and then all of a sudden like you're at the gym or wherever you're like wow i can like pistol squat now like that never i have no idea it might have been had the right combination like coffee and butter so i don't know what it was but like i could just do this and that's the way progress happens you know it's how big jumps happen 
You know, I think it's it's like you just do the right thing over and over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, March 23rd, 2021, you're like, bam, I can do that thing that I've wanted to do for the last 15 years. Like crazy. I have no idea what happened. It might have, you know, but what it is is that you were just intentional for, you know, the last however long you were intentional for. That's definitely something which we'd love to touch on now is is the combination between the body and the mind and listening to the stuff in which you talk about in terms of your posture how it affects your thoughts how it affects your behaviors all these other things it made me thought sort of think back to some pickup books which i read in university right (laughs) but you know in terms i know you even mentioned this how important body language is in terms of of a mate so let's yeah. imagine that that for this little for this little question that you are a pickup coach mm-hmm. <laughs> and you are instructing someone on say say a guy who's gone out to a bar on how to attract a yeah. woman just based on body language. What yeah. would you have to say to that? You want to feel um, confident, uh, but not cocky. So how would you? Unless in that moment it calls for something else, you know, but for the most part, a woman or man or anybody, really, we're all attracted pretty much to, to pretty similar things, um, is someone that feels very safe, very, very stable, very supportive, um, but also feels flexible and feels creative and feels fun and feels funny. Uh, you know, so all of those are structural descriptions as well as like mental emotional personality traits so in the book i have like five postural archetypes that i get into with this um you know and so a person if you are in the book i would refer to them as a a swall personality or postural archetype swall 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 s-w-l-e s-w-o-l-e it means like a person that's like chest puffed so chicks don't like swall uh guys that much there's a percentage for everybody and everybody's got a match out there somewhere uh, but typically swall so a person that is going out of their way to show that they're strong and i drive a lamborghini and i have this twelve thousand dollar watch and all that stuff it's not very attractive you know unless it's like specifically like a woman that's kind of like a parasite you know that she wants to like pull from that place like you know you'll get that is for sure um but that would be an indication that the that the body is actually insecure and they're overcompensating in order to show the room that they're big enough strong enough fast enough wealthy enough all that stuff um and, and the person in that form would confuse that with confidence, but in fact, confidence would be toned back just a little bit. You know, so a confident, and then the opposite of that would be someone that's like, you know, mopey is the is what I call it in the book, the mopey archetype. You know, so they're hunched over, they're collapsed, they're not making eye contact, their hips are kind of facing the door, they're like seem like they don't want to be there. Um, you know, that's going to be the other side of that, and that's going to be attractive either. So it's like, you know, the what is it called? The, the Goldilocks principle. It's like, it's like in between there is going to be the most comfortable place where it's like you have yourself together, you know, you're, you're stacked. I call it the aligned archetype, uh, but you're not going out of everywhere to show that. So, so a person that's in that place, uh, their traps are relaxed. They have length through their cervical spine. Their eyes are open, you know, but not too open. 
you know, and their and their um, their shoulders and hands are relaxed, and there, if you could draw, literally draw a a pin, uh, a plumb line down, essentially from this person's ear down through their shoulders, down through their hips, down through their knees, down through their ankles, and that person that's very balanced and stacked in their body, they're not exhibiting any uh, physical characteristics of someone that's going out of their way to to show anything, uh, but they also look very strong. And they look very confident because they like they obviously are in order to have that form, um, you know. So that would be structurally speaking, it's it's all the same principles, you know. For anything else, if you want to be an effective athlete, uh, that's going to be the same principles as being an effective pickup artist. Yeah, uh, just as just as you were saying this, I can imagine that uh, just as a as a guess, obviously, I'd have, you know we live on different continents. I'd have no way, but I can imagine that throughout your life, you would have done very well with uh, women, Aaron. <laughs> are you? Are you I've, been, some... I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been closed off. Like I, my, I've been kind of like fearful of intimacy in some in some respects, and so even if I was, there was women that were attracted to me i was kind of like closed off from that in in large part um recently i've become like more i guess like have a better relationship with myself and more like self-acceptance which all of a sudden that's created somewhat of like a greater cascade of of uh feminine attention which is really cool um but no it's been kind of the opposite for me actually really so was it in terms of uh you know, sort of maybe similar to me where you feel as if uh, you don't want to hurt someone or was it was it sort of like that? Or? Um, I don't think so. I think it's more just feeling like insecure, not feeling oh, really? like really, really like confident and good. Yeah. A lot of the people that you, so I come from being more like the swall archetype, which is confusing to people. Um, because this, the swall person seems like they have it all together, but oftentimes their togetherness is a byproduct of lots of compensation. Uh, you know, so I've compensated physically, I've compensated maybe intellectually, I've compensated in various different directions, and uh, I'm starting to get to the other side of that, I would say, of actually just feeling a bit more content, just like, you know, just being. If someone was watching this now and they saw the book cover... And that you know they looked on your Instagram and they saw you know the veins bulging out of your biceps <laughs> and all these things. I mean, I, I can't imagine anyone would would possibly think this. So I'd love to know how are you dealing with this and how are you working towards that that self acceptance and you know as you say get into that place where you can achieve those higher levels of intimacy. Yeah, I think I think honestly, like I've had value from. Uh, some degree of like material success like doing the book and i think there is something to actually having your world uh start to kind of reflect your vision you know and gathering that moment momentum and then also it's having the eyes to see the reflection in the first place you know because we all have little wins we all have little victories just some people choose unconsciously typically but choose not to see any of them and they just see why they suck you know so shining more light on uh you know what what victories have i had this month this week this year this decade you know and am i in a better place than i was six months ago you know and if and if i am and even if maybe it seems like i'm not like 
find a part that you are because there's probably something. If you've been investing any degree of bandwidth and anything meaningful at all, um, there's probably something that's better than it was six months ago. You know, and so really in making an intentional practice of focusing your energy in observing your your wins, uh, I think that can be a, a powerful feedback, you know, because your brain will be occupied by thoughts regardless. Uh, so you're kind of like the the architect of those thoughts. Um, you know, so I would take control of that. Yeah, that's so interesting to talk about, you know, uh, taking control <clears throat> And one of the ways in which we know what you talk about is how your body language can really affect that. So I wonder, could you go into this idea of, say, the depressed person would typically be hunched over with their head down, not making eye contact. And what Mm -hmm. could that person do just in terms of shifting their body language to feel a much more positive uh, and maybe joyful state? Um, well, another principle in the book is just hanging each day, you know, like every, there's not anything in my opinion that is that meaningful. That's like expensive or, you know, that even challenging for that matter. I think most things that the human organism needs to be healthy, well, and prosperous and all that are really simple, accessible, um, and just a matter of consistency. You know, and so something, if a person is kind of hunched over and collapsed, shoulders rolled forward, all a forward head posture, the simple act of getting a pull-up bar in your home, uh, put it in between a doorway that you walk through with regularity, uh, and just do a little 10-second hang every time you walk through there. I recommend 90 seconds a day. Uh, right now, I have like a hang challenge on Instagram that people are doing. Uh, you know, so doing that every day is something that will literally... Uh, open up that shoulder girdle, uh, reduce shoulder pain and shoulder impingement, open up the spaciousness in around your ribs and your intercostal muscles, help with your respiratory efficiency and your even your cardiac function and your organ function. Now, you need to decompress yourself with regularity, especially when you live in a compressive world. Uh, you know, So that would be it. I mean, there's lots of other things I could say, but it's it's like most of the things that I think people will actually be able to walk away with um, and use and have the biggest impact, like they're real simple and hanging would be a primary one. I read a book uh, back in December mm-hmm. called How to Talk to Anyone. And mm-hmm. one of the examples he gives, or one of his principles, he calls it hanging by your teeth. So mm-hmm. it's as if when you walk through a door, you imagine that there's a piece of string that as soon as you walk through an, a, a door to meet new people, that string in your mouth pulls your smile up straight away. And it talks mm. about the uh, connection between facial expressions and emotions. Is that something you believe in and, and how powerful do you think that is? I mean, it's not something I believe in. It's something that's absolutely true. Like we're always attuning to each other. Um, you know, so like right now I'm like recovering from being kind of sick and out of it. And then I've got like, I've got a lot of crap going on right now. So I've got like a client coming in in like 10 minutes and I've got like there's like things happening um, so you guys probably when you started this conversation you guys were like very bright and I think my you've been probably attuning to me that I'm a little bit more like serious right now um, you know and so I mean, it's happening in this conversation it happens in any conversation we're, like we're always doing that because we're uh, we appreciate people that are like ourselves and we are 
continually attuning. You know, there's like mirror neurons that literally fire in a similar way as someone else. So when someone, you know, whacks their finger or smiles or whatever, like you literally experience that. You viscerally experience that sensation in yourself. Uh, you know, and, and the reason for that, one, because, you know, I think we're all connected. Um, but uh, two, it's because we don't love anybody more than ourselves. You know, we love our children, but that's like quite literally an extension of ourselves. Um, you know, and so when you can connect with somebody, in order to connect with somebody, they pretty much need to see a part of themselves in you. And the fastest way to make that rapport happen is to uh, essentially like mimic them. You know, so when we're connecting with each other, if our facial expressions are similar, if maybe our style of dress is similar, if um, our mannerisms are similar, if we both happen to share an accent, that would be a really big deal. Uh, if you don't share the accent and you try to force an accent, that's going to be very offensive. It's going to work, work the opposite. Um, you know, but all of that, what it does is it causes that person to say, oh, like, I like this guy. I know this guy. I recognize this guy. It's like, well, yeah, it's because he, you know, you recognize yourself in this guy. Yeah. So yeah, we're always doing that. There's no, there's no way around it. Yeah. We've got just a few questions left. Um, you know, it's been a, a brilliant conversation, so much value in it. And we really do thank you for coming on the show. So mm-hmm. let's just run through some, just some quick fire ones. And then we'll just talk a little bit about the book at the end. So are there any real quick fire bullet point things which people could start doing today perhaps the hangs that people could do and that would take assuming they compound them day after day like you said like let's look at a year and that it could really compound over the year yeah i mean the book's broken down into five movement principles for you know whatever it says stronger body sharp mind all things um and, you know, so hanging is one of those things. Uh, another one would be just breathing through your nose with regularity. Um, another one would be hinging from your hips with regularity. Uh, the other one is spending time on the ground. You know, there's, it's like all of those. If you just start, if you integrate any of those into your daily life, it would make a huge difference. You know, so I'd start with, with one. There's, you know, there's more to it than that, obviously. Uh, and that was only four principles as well, I think. Um, you know, but if you integrate just any of those into your daily life or just like literally give it a week, um, it'll start to create a huge impact. So obviously you've mentioned the book. Um, it's obviously going to impact, you know, so many people's lives. And, um, one of the questions we ask every guest that comes on, are there any books that you've read in your life that you can, uh, you know, attribute to having an effect on you or an impact on you? Yeah, so many. Uh, well, I mentioned the man search for meaning. That would probably be like a primary one, you know. So Viktor Frankl, he was a guy that was uh, in concentration camp, like various different concentration camps, and he was a psychologist. And um, he's been very influential on me, um, and his just perspective on everything throughout that whole experience makes any kind of bullshit that I deal with and you know fret about just feel very nonsensical. Um, so yeah, I would, I would recommend Man's Search for Meaning for sure. What rules do you love to break, Aaron? I think I want to respect rules, um, you know, because I don't want to. I want to respect things as they are and acknowledge that they've brought you know me and culture and everything to where it's come, um, and there's been a lot of value in in things the way that they are. Um, and I like to 
bend that as well because you know that's that's like what evolution is is being willing to to, to bend but not break and so um a big one obvious one would just be the way that we what's accepted in the present model of western culture is to kind of slouch over and look at your phone and kind of socially isolate and kind of just like be in that kind of hunchy position if you're in that in public it feels very normal it feels very common um if you're more uh say you squat in public or you lunge or you you know you throw your leg up on the side of a you know i don't know like a, a brick wall or something like that and like stretch out your hamstring you know whatever the thing is um that's like uncommon to be like more open that way um, so that's something that, you know, if you see me in public, there's probably a good chance I'm doing some, some strange physical position. Um, so that would probably be it. And, uh, let's imagine that every person in the world is tuned into the same frequency and you are offered the chance to deliver a short but impactful message that means something to you and you want every person in the world to hear. What would Aaron Alexander's message to the world be? I just love each other, you know, and love uh, even like the dark parts about yourself and about each other is a big thing. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think the best way to uh, remove a shadow is by projecting a shadow onto it. I think it's, you know, through projecting light. And so that would be my suggestion. Man, that's awesome. Um, tell our audience where they can connect with you and, and any messages about the book you'd love to pass on. Uh, well, so everything is at a line. Well, the book is called The Align Method. And um, I mean, that's like my child for sure. It's been, you know, the, the most meaningful project that I've been involved in ever. And um, it's been, you know, there's everybody's involved in it. Laird Hamilton endorsements and Wim Hof and like Kelly Starrett and Pavel Satsul and all these different great people were involved in it. And um, yeah, it's everything that I've gathered through doing my own podcast for the last five years and interviewing all these all these different folks that I mentioned and um, also working with clients for the last 16 years. All of that's infused into that book, which is very uh, simple. Uh, that's like, a, that's like a, a regular description of it. It's just like, wow, it's like it's hard to put down because everything is written in a very simplified form. So you can just kind of like, like breeze through it, which is great. Um, you know, and then there's the line podcast and then everything's at a line podcast, social media, Instagram's the thing I'm most active on, but the line book, the line method would be the, the, the primary place to check out. I'd say amazing. And all that will be linked. The book, the podcast, the socials will all be linked in the show okay. notes below. So Aaron, thank you for connecting with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks guys. Appreciate it.